This episode is brought to you by Fiat. A remix just hits different. The 2024 Fiat 500e is no exception. Cruise city streets in style with an all-electric ride that's fully equipped with an available premium JBL audio system. Explore the all-new 2024 Fiat 500e at fiat.com. Fiat is a registered trademark of FCA Group Marketing SPA, used under license by FCA US LLC. Today is Monday, March 1st, 2021. On this day in 1932, Charles Lindbergh's 20-month-old baby boy, Charles Jr., was kidnapped. The crime and its subsequent investigation became one of the most well-known tragedies in American history. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of kidnapping and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today, we're covering the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. Let's go back to Hopewell, New Jersey on March 1st, 1932, around 9 p.m. Charles Lindbergh was 30 years old and in the prime of his life. Five years earlier, he had completed the world's first solo transatlantic flight. The feat made him an American icon and an international superstar. His fame and diligence earned him the respect and admiration of people the world over. But more importantly, it earned him the love of Anne Morrow, the daughter and heiress of Dwight Morrow, one of the partners at J.P. Morgan. Charles and Anne married in 1929, becoming an iconic celebrity couple. They had their first child one year later and named him Charles Lindbergh Jr. Wealthy and famous, the Lindbergh's life was idyllic, picture perfect. As Charles and Anne lounged in the living room of their Hopewell, New Jersey estate on the evening of March 1, 1932, they hardly suspected that anything could change. But that night, their lives were forever scarred by malice and tragedy. While the Lindberghs chatted away in the first floor living room, Charles Jr. was asleep in his second floor nursery. The darkness of the night concealed one man, perhaps even two, creeping up to the manor unnoticed. He carried an extendable wooden ladder and walked softly across the grass. When he reached the building's wall, he spotted the child's window and carefully leaned the ladder beside it. Rung by rung, he climbed, then opened the unlocked window. With padded footsteps, the man approached the baby's crib and grabbed him. Maybe he muffled the child, or the baby stayed asleep, unaware of the danger he was in. Either way, nobody heard the man as he carried Charles Jr. out the window. Perhaps more surprisingly, nobody heard the ladder break as the man made his way back down. The man hit the ground, apparently unharmed. 
Perhaps fearing he had given himself away, he abandoned the ladder and raced into the night, Charles Jr. in hand. Around 10 p.m., Charles Jr.'s nurse, Betty Gao, went into his room to check on him. She found only an empty crib and a note on the windowsill. The note read, have $50,000 ready. After two to four days, we will inform you where to deliver the money. Betty ran to the living room and told the Lindberghs about their child's kidnapping. Struck with panic, Charles and Anne rushed to search the grounds and check every room in the house. But their child's kidnapper was long gone. The couple was determined to get their son back. They got the money ready and waited for the kidnapper to contact them again. Little did they know they would never see their baby again. Coming up, we'll discuss the investigation into Charles Jr.'s disappearance and the tragic end to the dark tale. You discover their practices, seek their advice, and let yourself become more vulnerable than ever before. They have the ability to heal what the doctors can't, or so they say. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from the podcast series Cults. Be sure to check out our four-part special on miracle healers airing right now. Meet figures from around the world who claimed powers and pushed remedies, but harbored more sinister intentions. You don't want to miss it. And if you're looking for more episodes on the most radical and deadly groups in history, tune in to Cults every Tuesday. From Jim Jones and the People's Temple, to Charles Manson and the Manson family, to Keith Raniere and Nexium, you'll uncover the unscrupulous methods used to turn bright-eyed recruits into die-hard believers. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Now, back to the story. On March 1st, 1932, 20-month-old Charles Lindbergh Jr. was abducted from his home by an unknown kidnapper. The criminal left a ransom note demanding $50,000, and Charles Lindbergh Sr. was ready to pay any price to see his son again. Lindbergh contacted the police, and in a matter of days, the kidnapping became international news. Law enforcement agencies from all over the U.S. were willing to pitch in and start the search for the missing boy, and Lindbergh himself contacted several different private investigation agencies along with them. Investigators first searched the Lindbergh's home for any forensic clues to the kidnapper's identity. The only substantial lead they found was the broken ladder left leaning against the outside wall. 
The latter had clearly been made piecemeal, with wood taken from many different sources. It seemed the kidnapper most likely made the latter themselves, implying they were a carpenter by trade, as the latter would have required significant skill to make. The latter was an interesting piece of evidence, but it was not particularly helpful in the early search. Left with little to go off of, police were forced to wait for the kidnapper to reach out to the Lindberghs once again. The next few weeks turned into a complicated game of wait and see. The kidnapper sent notes to the Lindberghs via mail or handed messages to a cab driver to deliver. The Lindberghs responded by hiring a go-between named Dr. John Condon, a retired school principal. Dr. Condon replied to ransom notes by posting ads in the paper under a coded pseudonym, largely accepting the demands the kidnappers made. After one month of back and forth, Dr. Condon and the kidnapper eventually agreed to meet in a graveyard to make the trade. Police wanted to tail the kidnapper, but Charles wouldn't allow it. The kidnappers had threatened to harm the child, and Charles didn't want to take any risks. On April 2, 1932, Dr. Condon arrived in the graveyard to find a man who called himself John waiting for him. Dr. Condon gave John a briefcase filled with $50,000 worth of cash and gold certificates, and John gave Dr. Condon a note. The note read that the baby was being kept aboard a ship named Nellie in a dock near Martha's Vineyard. Condon raced to the Lindberghs to deliver the news. Law enforcement officers were immediately mobilized to search for any sign of the child. But after two days of searching, no boat was found, and Charles Jr. remained lost in the wind. The kidnapper had swindled them. The Lindberghs were furious, but there was little they could do. If the kidnapper still had their baby, they would have to wait for him to request a second ransom and try again. But over a month passed, and the kidnapper never reached out. On May 12th, the Lindberghs discovered the awful reason why. A hiker walking through the woods found Charles Jr.'s corpse decomposing only four and a half miles away from his home. An analysis of the baby's body showed that he had been violently struck on the head and that he had been dead for at least two months. The kidnappers had stolen him from his room, murdered him that very same night, then pretended to have him alive all to swindle the Lindberghs out of a small fortune. When news of the baby's death reached the nation, people all over the country mourned his loss. They were determined to catch his killer. With a bit of foresight, the FBI had taken the serial numbers of each bill placed in the ransom money. They sent lists of the numbers to every bank, store, airport and business in the state of New York. This plan paid off when the FBI received a call from the Corn Exchange Bank and Trust Company on September 18th. A gas station attendant had brought in a $10 gold certificate, worried that it was a counterfeit. The customer had used it to pay for less than $1 worth of gasoline, drawing the attendant's suspicion. 
He had taken the money but written down the customer's license plate number just in case he had accidentally accepted a forgery. When the bank examined the note, they discovered the $10 certificate was from the Lindbergh ransom. And now, the gas station attendant's quick thinking had delivered the baby's murderer up on a silver platter. On September 19th, New York State Police arrested Bruno Richard Hauptmann. Hauptmann was a German immigrant and carpenter by trade. He had a substantial criminal record in his hometown in Germany, and $13,000 of the ransom money was found in his garage. Additionally, some of the wood from the ladder left at the Lindberghs was a perfect match to some of the wooden planks found in Hauptmann's attic. They had caught their man. Hauptmann was sentenced to death and executed via electric chair on April 3, 1936. Some evidence suggested that he may have had at least one or two other accomplices in the kidnapping and murder of Charles Jr., but unfortunately, the truth of that is lost to time. Whatever the case, Hauptmann was caught and tried, and the Lindberghs got some justice though the pain of their son's death remained with them forever. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out another Spotify original from Parcast, Solved Murders. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hobseth, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 